Hello, friends. My name is Drew Monk McGowan, and welcome to Words Fail Me, a podcast about thriving with dyslexia. So today, my guest is the entrepreneur and CEO of Dream Nation, Claude Williams. A self-professed practical dreamer, he credits technology with helping him deal with his dyslexia. Claude advises individuals, businesses, and charities with their branding and marketing focusing on brand development and strategies for optimal personal performance. So what does all that mean? Well, the man is inspiring. He coaches and he empowers people to be the best versions of themselves that they can be through their physical health, their financial potential, productivity and emotional intelligence. As always, this is a podcast to support the brilliant work of the Dyslexia Foundation. Their mission is to unlock the full potential of children and adults with dyslexia so that they can succeed and contribute fully to society. They do incredible work. They test any adult off the street and teach them to read for free. Everything is free at a point of use. It's not often that I get the opportunity to talk to somebody who is a coach, uh, an entrepreneur. And with Claude, I really didn't know what we were going to get. And equally, he didn't He didn't know what this podcast was going to be. So we feel each other out at the beginning, as, as you can hear, but it's, it's a really special episode. Uh, we get into some big, some big topics like biases and how we can change education. I think it's a really good episode. So here it goes. Claude, welcome. It's wonderful to have you. Um, I want to, I want to jump in and just, just ask you how you are, how things are in this, in this quite strange and surreal time. Uh, thank you for having me today. Um, how am I doing? You know, it's weird. I've been having this uh, dialogue with some of my friends recently where I have been feeling really blessed because there's a lot of good things happening in my life. But at the same time, I also have been struggling to, I guess, express that because I know so many people are going through really difficult times during the season. So yeah, it's a bit of mixed emotions, but as a whole, I'm doing well. Thank you. I'm glad. I'm glad. Can you let's, can you talk about some of those blessings? Sure. So, um, yeah, last year in terms of progression in my career was really great. Um, I managed to secure a a pretty cool role with Burbank University uh, doing something that I love. I launched my coaching business or coaching practice um, and that has been going really well. Um, Some products I've been trying to develop on the digital side. We had some really big breakthroughs in the back end of that. Um, I became a, an ambassador for the British Dyslexic Association um, and also a board member for the NHS. And it's just like in a year when I know a lot of people were worried about losing jobs or opportunities or income, it's like it's been the complete opposite for me. And I've just, yeah, it's just been such a great, great experience in all honesty. Yeah. I mean, that's the sad thing about this time that um, it, no two experiences are the same. There are some people who are really struggling and then and then some people who have utilized this time um, and and, and things are moving towards where they want to be um, in their careers. But, you know, this is a platform for you because um, we, we love to talk to people from all sorts of varied um, professions and backgrounds and and, um, and crafts. So let's delve into those things. So first and foremost, can you give people an idea of what Dream Nation is all about? So Dream Nation, we started back in 2013 with, I guess back then, not much of direction apart from an idea, which is I wanted to help people to become practical dreamers. So to have a have a dream for your life and then take the steps to turn that dream into your reality. 
Uh, we launched originally with like TED style events in terms of conferences where we brought in some really cool speakers over the years. So we've had like Olympic athletes, we've had entrepreneurs, CEOs of big companies and things of that nature. Um, and where they all come along and they share their stories and the lessons they learn along the way. Uh, as well as we mixed up with a few other cool events. So stuff like our networking gala or our poetry slam, which was designed to help inspire people. And that's where we were for, I guess, the beginning of the company. And as I began to build up more and more for community and spend more time really just understanding what their needs really were in terms of how to get them to that next level, I began to realize that the best way to do that is to really focus on developing tools that will, yeah, un- kind of unblock a few areas of their life. And that's where I am now. So as I mentioned before, I like we've been developing some digital products. Um, and yeah, so we're looking at building a few different apps uh, that will help people of different areas of their life. So productivity, emotional intelligence and finance and things of that nature with the ultimate goal, um, <laughs> if I get the future that I want, would be to build an AI-driven person development coach. Um, we're very far away from that right now, but the I guess the initial steps are moving in the right direction. That's wonderful. Yeah, I was going to ask you about those four things, those four aims uh, that you laid out, productivity, financial, uh, literacy, physical health. Um, in my own life, certainly, um, you know, I'm what, I'm 32, I'm going to be 33 soon. And uh, it's only now I feel like I get a handle on those things. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a PT as well as an actor. So, you know, I have an idea about my physical health. The financial side, I've, I've really just got a handle on. <laughs> um, but th- those are... You know, that's proper adulting, if I can use that uh, that tired expression. Yeah. Um, that's that's you properly being in receipt of yourself, you know, and all your capacities. Because you know, if you're on top of your emotional intelligence, which is huge, um, it's very unlikely that you're going to have a hold on, you know, the other three. Quite often, you know, people have um, a strength in one of those things, and you're talking about combining all four. So. Is technology primarily the the way you're gonna you you want to uh, enhance those things for people? So for me personally, I think it's a it's a delicate balance because I guess on one hand, there's a lot of people in the technology space that feel that technology is the answer to all things, um, and then there's other people on the I guess the other camp where they feel like no, like technology is just getting in the way of that human connection. But for me personally, I feel like the real power comes when we are able to combine both of those two things together. And I think that's been the beautiful, I guess, combination of my business to date. So we've, so far, we started off on a really human side of things through having in-person events and coaching and things of that nature, really great community. But now adding technology to that as opposed to replacing it means that we're going to get the best of both worlds. And I think in order for people to truly be able to reach their full potential, then yeah, it's going to be how how we are able to blend and combine those two different aspects of of personal development and then really help, like I say, people to just get to another level in their growth. Um, and also, I guess another key thing of the different areas that we mentioned before um, is over the years, I began to realize that not only are these the most common areas that people struggle with, that's holding them back, but also they're all really interconnected in a way which nobody's really ever looked at before. And I think that's, that's going to be, I think that's ultimately going to be in another area of the company really does stand out is that understanding of how, for example, how does your emotional intelligence impact your impact the way you handle your money? 
And then how does your finances impact how you then eat or sleep or exercise? And then how does that impact your productivity? It's like, to me, it's now so obvious how they're all connected. And I think that once again, is going to be one of our our secret weapons for our future success. Absolutely. Um, I love all that. Can I just rewind? Can I take a little step back? Can I ask you what, so why is it, why is it you care? Why is it for you it's important to help people reach their full potential, as you, as, as you say, or to, to move along in their journey, in their growth? You know, I think for me personally, it probably goes back to my childhood. Um, so I guess earlier when I mentioned that I recently became one of the ambassadors for the British Dyslexic Association. And the reason for that is, yeah, I'm severely dyslexic. And as a child, that was a nightmare going through education. Um, or pretty much through life because I knew I was an intelligent person like I understood that however I just felt like there were these almost invisible barriers that were holding me back from being able to actually live out my potential or show the world what I could do because um, yeah like I remember walking out of uh, English classes or English tests back in primary school and when you have three and four letter words I'll be coming out of tests with scores with zeros or ones and I was like this doesn't make sense because I know I can do this or I know I can have something to offer but if you just looked at me on paper then that it was saying the opposite and as I kind of got older um, and I learned to kind of get past the difficulties that I faced as a child through, through dyslexia I began to realize that a lot of people have similar struggles but just in different areas of their life and I basically just don't want anybody else to really have to suffer the way that I did. Um, and yeah, like if I can, I guess, play any role in alleviating that frustration and helping people to really find themselves, then that would be something that, I, that would be something that I'd just love to be a part of. That would be the most fulfilling thing I can think to do with my life. Yeah, I love that. That's wonderful. You talk, you talk about community and collaboration, and and the, there's space actually for people. You know, for people and peers um, to fulfil their own potential, you know, without sabotaging or, or or thinking themselves in competition with other people, is that how you how you proceed in in business? You know what? If I'm being a hundred percent honest, that's how I aspire to uh, operate in business. When I'm at my best, that's how I am. Um, I don't see anyone as my competition. I do see everything as a, a means for us to work together and go further. But I've definitely gone through periods of my life when I haven't had that mindset. Um, and I've gone back and forth. And I can say when you're, I guess, in a, in a positive mindset, in a positive place, and you feel like you're winning, it's a lot easier to have that mentality. But when you feel like, I guess, everything is against you, it's very hard to maintain that. And also sometimes business can be hostile. Life can be hostile. It's like not everybody wants to collaborate, even if you have the best of intentions. So yeah, it's an ideal that I'm striving towards, I should say. Yeah. So let's talk about your journey with dyslexia. So you struggle with tests. Was, is, it, is it primarily uh, words and was it English or was it numbers? It's definitely words. Um, so in terms of speaking, I was pretty much okay. I did have to go to speech therapy for a few years, um, but the real struggle came with reading and writing. Um, my reading age was really, and my writing age was atrocious, like literally atrocious in terms of my ability to spell. 
um, yeah, as the years have gone by, those have massively improved. Um, my reading age, I think, is now average or above, but my spelling age is probably just average, maybe slightly below, um, even to this day, which is why anybody that follows me on social media knows that it's now part of my brand to expect a typo. Um, I guess, yeah, even in every email I send out now, um, I got an idea from my mentors. So I have a signature that says... Um, uh, excuse, excuse any typos I'm delightfully dyslexic and it just kind of that's that simple <laughs> no matter what context I'm in whether that's working with a big corporation or working with my staff it's like no I'm likely to make a typo let's not make a big deal out of it like and let's keep moving forward yeah so how was school were you getting support at school were teachers um, aware of the dyslexia so I was so lucky um, in primary school. Um, I used to go to Cubs, which is like the level just no beavers, which is just below the level like scouts and things of that nature. And the lady who used to lead on those sessions, her son was dyslexic and she noticed that I was struggling with some things the same way that her son was. And she recommended to my mum that I got tested out. So at about five or six was when I actually got diagnosed with dyslexia. And as a consequence of that, I got such amazing support from my school. Um, there were a handful of teachers that I can think back to this day. If they were not in my life, I would not be where I am today. So yeah, amazing support throughout the education system. Absolutely. I'm going to have to give another shout out um, to teachers in general. They're getting a bit of a rough rough time of it at the moment with um, with COVID and, and parents thinking they can do their jobs. Um, we all know the value of a good teacher. They change your lives um, and... You guys are doing amazing, amazing work. Hang in there. I think, sadly, the reality is there'll be lots of teachers who will walk away from the profession this year because of because of how um, how tough it is. But we have to give them a shout out and give them some love. Um, so I talked to Theo Pafitas. He was the first guest that I spoke to. Um, you're the second businessman I've had on, and he was he was very keen not to blame uh, the lack of support he got from school because um, ultimately. I think he, you know, he perceives it as the struggles he went through helped to shape him, and the the workarounds that he um, developed from quite a young age, the way he dealt with, you know, um, number illiteracy and things like that, really set him up for business. And it feels like you're empowering people to develop a way of schooling themselves, you know, looking at themselves through the prism of their financial health, their physical health. Um, do you feel like? Uh, that schools could have supported you better or was it or were you happy with the support that you got? Um, I guess it's a double-edged sword because as I just mentioned I did get amazing support and that really did help me get my foundations right and reading and writing um, however I still think that I think fundamentally the education system is broken in of itself like even if we look back to the I guess the history of how the British system was designed um, it wasn't designed to create, to basically create leaders or entrepreneurs or thinkers. Like it was designed to create ultimately factory workers. And mm. it hasn't really changed much since its original conception. Um, Absolutely. So I think personally, um, once again, teachers are amazing, but I think it's just the system they work in is that fundamentally needs to revamp. And if we're able to come together as a society and we really look at what it is that we need, as well as what is the best way to truly equip the next generation, I think we'll all will massively benefit from that. I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. And this year has just gone, has, has thrown up a few examples of things being done in an old way that people haven't changed to meet the times and people operating within a system that they, you know, 
they they can't be the best versions of themselves within that system um, because the system itself is broken. You're, you're absolutely right. I, I think it, studies have been have shown that um, our schooling as it is only suits one form of intelligence, and there mm. are seven different types of intelligences, and invariably um, those types of intelligence will reward each other. So often in big businesses, as I'm sure you're aware, there are creative thinkers, dyslexics potentially, or people who are uh, creatively minded who aren't in, in the top jobs um, initially, but they're brought in because they have a way of thinking about business and uh, that's, that's different from other more direct thinkers. Have you tried to integrate some of that into some of your business dealings? Can you can you see like there's a gap here for someone with an intelligence like mine? So yes, in a sense of like, I guess by default, that's been my approach to business. I remember when we first started recruiting, I our process like I didn't care what your CV said. Um, I was interested in your ability to, I guess, accomplish the task that was set out for us. So even like the way that I recruit people or the people that I look to bring into my teams, I don't necessarily look for, I guess, the traditional skill set that the education system might say this is a good potential employee. Um, and sometimes there's a need for that. Like there's certain roles where it's like, yo, like I want my accountant to be great with numbers, if you know what I mean. But maybe the, my event director or creative director doesn't need to have the exact same skill set. And even now we are at the early stages of beginning to create a consultancy um, as we do more and more B2B work. Uh, so that's business to business work. That is, and I think this is an area where I'm seeing there's a huge gap in the market. So hopefully I'll be able to help uh, help a lot of great companies that are great today be even greater by looking at their HR and their learn development policies as well. So I think there's a huge need for it because there's so much talent is getting wasted, so much, whether they're people that are dyslexic or people who just think differently or any other type of neurodiversity. It's like so, much, so many of those people have so much to offer the world, but it's just not being seen by our current systems. Absolutely. That's, that's a big thing for me is um, how many people were lost for... You know, because they couldn't get the support that you were fortunate enough to get. You know, they might have been from a poor or disadvantaged background, or they might have been a woman, or you know, they might uh, not be white. There are so many things that that we're holding each other back on, and I think principally is this ex- expectation when you're like 18 that you have to know what you're going to do for the rest of your life. Yeah. Because how can anybody know that? I mean, I was fortunate because I obviously wanted to pursue a vocation that I can do for the rest of my life, because. Um, I, I felt I have a talent, whereas lots of people are forced into that position and sometimes invariably they do the wrong degree for them because they, they don't realise um, the, the thing it is that they, they want to do. Um, do you have, I mean, this is a massive question and I apologise for it, but do you feel like there's a solution to that problem? <laughs> wow, a solution? Um <laughs> I well, let me first start by saying that I 100% can agree with you. Um, I tell young people all the time that um, it's ridiculous that you think you should know what you want to do with your life right now. You literally have not lived enough life to know, um, especially in the fact that at 18 in the UK, you've spent every year of your life pretty much in education. So that's all you've known as a classroom, ultimately. Yeah. Um, in terms of solutions, I don't have anything right now. Um, if I was to give you one, it would be something <laughs> that I'm thinking off the top of my head. And if I ever was to come up with a solution, in all honesty, I will probably keep that a secret and become a trillionaire. <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. 
on reflection, that is a big question. Claude, can you solve our education problem right now and and essentially sort out our, our career service um, so we can have a good idea? Well, it was worth a shot, you know? Um, <laughs> well, how about you uh, vote me as prime minister in the next elections and I'll see what I can do. Yeah, listen, I, I don't think you can do a worse job. Um, that's all I'll say. <laughs> um, let's talk about getting the win and how valuable that is for people. You talked about this before, but I'm, I'm, I'm really intrigued by this as an idea. Um, so getting the win, I guess, in whatever example that you'd like to give. Let's talk about that. So, okay. I think it's really important for the way that we view ourselves and our confidence for people to be able to experience wins as quickly as possible. So one of the lessons that I've learned about leadership, whether that's you're leading a team or you're leading yourself, is it's all about momentum or momentum is such an underrated aspect of that. So giving yourself those small tastes of victory and as a result, like giving yourself that slightly bigger challenge and going bigger each time and this and that, you'll find that you are be able to accomplish so much more than what you would do otherwise. So I know like in my life, the probably one of the biggest catalysts to the man that I became today was basketball and learning to, I guess, learning what it was like to be part of a winning culture. So the team that I used to be a part of, we went on to become the national champions and we went undefeated for two years. And seeing what it took to be able to do that, getting a taste of that, it really set me up for the rest of my life to feel that I can really do anything if you do put the work into it. Um, and I just feel like so many young people or even adults, like when we hit such a, a massive streak of losses of I failed at this, I failed at this, I failed at this, I failed at this over and over again, like it will begin to have an impact on your self-confidence and your self-image. And once you kind of begin to have that I guess that mental loss, it then begins to reflect across the board. Um, there's a great book out there. I believe it's called The 12, Rule, the 12 Rules for Life, but I think it's Jordan Patterson or Peterson. Um, and he talks about lobsters. And um, there's a story analogy that he gives where like once a lobster has uh, lost a fight, it literally, its current brain dies and it then grows the brain of an actual loser. It secretes less like hormones and so on and so forth that actually encourages confidence and growth. And as a result, it then becomes so much more easy to defeat in the future. Um, and I feel like although we're, our brains are not as simple as that, it is that when we are able to experience those wins, stack them up, gain some momentum, we are able to accomplish so much more. And I think giving everybody a taste of that is a real key to success. Absolutely, it is. I mean, a term I employ a lot in my work as a personal trainer is progressive overload. So, you know, you give yourself enough of a struggle that tests you, but it's something that you can overcome uh, because it's essential that you do, you feel um, tested by something, but that eventually you do overcome it. Um, but you do it consistently. You're consistently putting yourself through something which is which is difficult, but within a, a contained and controlled situation uh, that, that means you're not going to suffer any adverse um, issues from, like an injury or, you know, as you say, like a psychological um, trauma. Mm -hmm. Was getting a win for you, um, you reading your first book? Yes. Okay. So that is, um, once again, another transformational part of my life. Um, as a dyslexic person, it meant that I had never voluntarily picked up a book for most of my life until 18, where my older sister handed me uh, Richard Branson's uh, first book at the time, which was called Losing My Virginity. Um, and 
firstly, I guess it showed me that reading isn't so bad. <laughs> it's just that I had never been given a book that I had actually had resonated with me previously. And being able to, what felt like a massive book at the time, now as I've gotten older, I've realized that now it just has really big, really big text and photos in there, which means it's not that long. But at the time, like being able to finish that and say, okay, like I did this with my own free will. Nobody forced me to do this and I enjoyed it. It really opened up an entire new world of reading. And now, yeah, now I've got like a, a massive library of things that I've read and things that I've enjoyed. And it's been one of the biggest things that changed my life. Um, but not just that, but I think also the idea of being able to see somebody else accomplish things that I would love to do myself. Um, so even that, I guess that, visualization of winning um if you've seen other people's example that was also huge for me too what's your favorite book oh that is the hardest question that you could possibly ask me um, it is it's unfair i apologize <laughs> yeah, uh, top, top five books top five okay i'm gonna start yeah. with um the hard things about hard things um i say that i say this all the time is that if i was ever in a situation where i could only ever have one book again in the future um that would be it and although most of the lessons in there are not 100% relevant to me today, I feel like it will be 100% relevant to me in the future as I grow in as an entrepreneur. Um, next, I'll say the, irref the 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership. Um, that book taught me so much about how to actually build, build and lead um, a team, as well as a movement, um, which I still apply to this day. Uh, I'll then also say The Promise of a Pencil, um, which is a, such an inspirational book. It's like when you read it, you won't even you won't even hardly be able to believe that it's a true story, but it really is. Um, and it's a story of how um, a um, a young man basically created a charity called Pencils of Promise, which uh, builds schools around the world. But absolutely fantastic book with great lessons. And my last favorite book. Hmm. I'm going to have to come back to you on that one. I think that the, now that I've got only one choice left again, I feel like it might be too difficult to, to pick one, but at least those are the top three that I would recommend to anybody. We'll come back. We'll come back to that. Let's talk technology. So you talked about how crucial you feel technology is for people self-actualizing, for them becoming uh, the person that they, they could be. Um, why is it you feel that technology um, has this potential for human beings? Well, I guess for me personally, it is, a, once again, a very personal connection. So as I mentioned, uh, my dyslexia meant that school was really hard for me. Uh, however, I remember the day when education, the difficulty of education changed was the day I was given a laptop. So throughout secondary school, I was actually allowed to use a laptop in my classroom rather than using a pen and paper. Because I just, I've just found that when I type things out or use a word processor, then a lot of the difficulties that I face with my dyslexia in terms of like words just not making sense and being struggling to stay organized, it all just kind of disappeared. And when I began to realize that, well, if technology can have this impact on me with such basic tools that everybody can access, then I've, that's when I began to realize there could be more. And as I guess my sophistication and understanding increased, like I can tell you now, when we, when I have all my coaching conversations with people, we've now been able to run the analysis of the notes that I've taken and beginning to get like a really interesting um, data perspective in terms of like the needs that people are consistently facing as well as what the solutions to those needs are. And it's really powerful in terms of guiding um, my company through the type of uh, content that we should be doing as well as problems we should be focusing on. Um, and I guess in addition to that as well, without going into too much detail as of yet, but 
we have begun to play around with, uh, with some very light level AI um, and looking at how, I guess, having that personalized um, advice and assistance for individuals can massively improve their performance. Because as a coach, I can only, I've only got so much time. I'm just one person, I'm just a human being. So I only have 24 hours in a day like everybody else, which means I can only help so many people. But if you can kind of take that same insight or knowledge or wisdom um, that I have and put that, give, feed that to a machine, then it means that you can ultimately help an infinite number of people um, at any given moment in time. And that to me really is, I guess, the secret and the power to how technology can be used to make this world a better place. Can you give us an idea practically? So if I came to you and I wanted coaching in any of the, the four areas that, that you've, um, uh, you've outlined, how is it that you go about uh, coaching somebody? One of the most fundamental frameworks is what we call the GROW model. And we will essentially try to take a client through this model. Um, the, the G in GROW stands for uh, your goal. So firstly, helping somebody to really identify what they are trying to really accomplish. And I know that sounds simple, but one of the reasons so many people struggle is that what their goal really is. Um, and with one of my favorite expressions being that you can't actually um, accomplish anything that you cannot articulate. So getting people down to really knowing what their goal is, is the first step. The um, next part of that model, so the R and grow, uh, that stands for reality. So really helping somebody understand where you are today. Um, and with that, like helping them to really put their objectives in a really grounded manner. Um, the next step in the GROW model is the O, uh, which simply stands for options. So helping somebody that, so now we know what your goal is, now we know where you are today, let's look at what are the things that you are able to actually do moving forward. And the last part would be uh, what we call will. And in reality, that is uh, getting somebody to actually make a commitment to something. Um, so deciding, okay, what are the next steps you're going to take? And then as a coach, helping somebody stay accountable to that. Um, that is the most fundamental and basic part of coaching obviously there's so much more to it but yeah that is essentially what any good coach will be doing with their clients um whether that's in their their health goals their fitness goals business entrepreneurship career whatever it might be so yeah that is uh to answer your question in the broadest manner if, if i was to go in more detail we'll be here until next year i promise you <laughs> of course of course and, and how is it that you do you keep in contact with your clients do you do you talk to them on the phone do you do zooms uh, when you're not in a pandemic, do you meet up with them fairly regularly? So I did originally start off with uh, meeting up face-to-face, -face, um, as I think we all did before the world changed. Um, however, yeah, now it's very much so over Zoom and over the phone. And if I'm being totally honest with you, I actually prefer doing it this way. Um, it's meant that I'm able to help a lot more people with also without having that geographic um, restriction. So... I've coached people all over the world during this pandemic and I've also coached people that would otherwise be quite hard to access. So without revealing the names of any companies, like I've coached like quite a few um, C-level executives over the last couple of months. And although that would have been possible in person, it would have been significantly more difficult because they don't have that flexibility. So and I, so I think in all honesty, I'm probably going to continue doing things over the phone and over Zoom for the foreseeable future. Nice. Nice. I mean, that is the thing. Um, certainly, I've had to adapt um, in, in my working life as an actor and as a PT um, for this for this new and strange time. And, you know, it's different, but you can still get stuff done. 100%. Yeah, I guess being flexible, being able to pivot when needed is such a key to success. For sure. 
for sure. So t- let's talk about Bugback uh, and, uh, and and the relationship you now have with them. Okay, so last year, I think around September or so, um, I joined their enterprise office as their business consultant or enterprise consultant's my official title. And with that, they essentially um, had received funding from Santander and they wanted to create a program that would help their students that already have a business to take that business to the next level. Um, I'd done something very similar with Loft University um, a few years prior, uh, running their business incubator. So yeah, like that's, I wanted, I guess this time around, like Burbeck gave me a lot of freedom um, to be able to do this, take this to whatever level I thought was possible. And so we've done a quite a few interesting things. Uh, one of the first was I developed an algorithm to help me assess the students to take on board for the program. Um, so looking at what their strengths, weaknesses were, and he would also be a good fit for this program as a whole, um, which proved to be really successful. Um, now that we're kind of analyzing the results of what, what actually did take place, um, we found that essentially there it removed basically all bias from the selection process, which normally is quite a big thing. So what I mean by that is there is the proportionally the right number of men and women on the program, proportionally there's the right number of people from different ethnic backgrounds or different sexual orientations or different levels of uh, disability or ability, et cetera. Um, so I realize now that by bringing in data, um, it does really eliminate a lot of the, I guess, biases that people face. Um, and then the next step is that same data approach that we've taken has allowed me to not just come up with a standardized program to give people information that you might normally do, but instead I've been able to tailor-made and adapt this program to the needs of my specific cohort. So for example, I could see that one of the biggest areas of weakness that people that applied to this program or got onto the program had is they consistently struggled with marketing or especially in the area of PR. So now that has meant that I've been able to bring in PR professionals to work on that specific weakness. I guess it's taken a really data-driven approach to looking at people's strengths, looking at people's weaknesses and addressing that has been a really interesting way of doing this because I haven't actually seen any other accelerator um, that has done anything like this before. So yeah, hopefully it's set up a model that other companies or universities can actually go on to take in the future. That's so interesting. So you're using data to cut through biases, which everybody has, I don't care who you are, everyone has biases because of the experiences that they grew up with and and the way they were treated. More and more, I feel like we all need from a very young age an understanding of biases, our own biases, the biases that we're brought up with in society because, you know, we can see 2020 was a hugely, um, you know, uh, divisive year in terms of... um, the way people perceive their their own history, certainly as British people, American people, um, and it's it's so interesting that you're that you're thinking we can actually utilize data to show people their innate biases because people don't. People think that they're, you know, I've heard people say, you know, oh, no one's um, homophobic anymore or, or no one's racist anymore, and I mean, patently, the last year is proof that that isn't true. Hundred percent. And you know what, with me just answering that last question, the points that you're just making, I do think this, you, you, earlier when you asked me about a solution to our, I guess, our employment and education system, and I don't think it's the whole My small solution, question. the tiny one that you, that you answered a little earlier. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I don't think it's the whole answer at all. But yeah, this process actually has really shown me the power of looking at data 
to not just remove biases, um, because I think there still is a lot of that in our education and recruitment systems, but also to look at what are understanding people's strengths and weaknesses, or even understand the strengths and weaknesses of a cohort of people. So if, for example, we were able to like have real-time data on what are all the children in this country currently struggling with in terms of education, um, then we can adjust the curriculum accordingly. Um, or similar, if we were able to have, like once again, kind of a big data perspective on what are the skills that are truly needed in the workplace, then once again, we can adjust the curriculum to, to meet those needs. So yeah, I do think if we were able to have a much more data-driven approach to the way that we handle um, our economy and education systems, then I think, yeah, it would be, we would all benefit from that as a result. Absolutely. I mean, you would hope in the future that that's exactly what people will do, that they'll also, you know, take people's bloods and they'll look at, oh, you're allergic to this or, you know, this type of exercise for your body type will probably be the most beneficial. And they'll look at, oh, okay, well, you know, you have, um, you know, uh, a form of math dyslexia or, or you have issues with, with words. Um, because, so we were talking uh, last week to um, a guy called Ross Lynette, who is a fascinating guy. And I think um, I think you'd like him very much. He, he's designed a tool for people who are uh, dyslexic or autistic, or they have some form of um, uh, neurodivergency. Um, and essentially you can, you can uh, use it to have any website read back to you on any device, um, or you can change the font, you can change the background so you can read it better. Essentially, it's, it's just all about how you customize um, the internet or, or anything from, from the web um, so that you can process it in your own personal way. Um, and and he believes everyone's on a sliding scale. You know, it's, we're going to remove labels at some stage because um, everyone can optimize the way that they they read and the way that they process information. Um, so this approach that you're talking about, this this data driven approach, it's it, it sounds it feels like something that we would be or should be moving towards anyway. That when we have this raw data, that we can look at something coldly and soberly. We can do something about it very practically. We can we can go, okay, well, this person needs this and this person needs that. 100%. Yeah, and yeah, it's once again, it's something that sounds so obvious um, when you say it, but yeah, without going into, I guess, too, getting too political, there's a lot that I've now seen over the last year where it's like, I can say things that are obvious don't necessarily happen. Um, and yeah, decision-making <laughs> yeah. decision processes uh, are questionable, let's put it that way. So yeah, I would probably leave that point there without, like I say, getting too political on the, on the recording today. I mean, I don't mind, I don't mind going there. I don't mean, uh, I don't think we should be shy about that. Um, I think the, the problem which you might be encountering, um, I'm, I'm assuming, is that, that people quite often don't think they are biased or that, you know, they think their way of thinking is, is of course, correct. Um, and they don't need data to be to undermine the things that they inherently know to be true. So you're you're up against people who aren't, as you say, flexible and aren't willing to pivot um, because, I mean, I guess that is the nature of being a politician, right? You, you are voted in on your own principles and you believe you're servicing your community, the people who voted you in, by not compromising by just um, pursuing your way of thinking. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think pride and ego are two really dangerous things. And 
I really feel as a society, we've almost got to a point where we glorify um, those two traits. And they have a role to play. Like, don't get me wrong, they do have a role to play. But when you are a leader, in my opinion, I think you you have such a deep responsibility to be able to truly guide people in the way that's needed. Um, I guess looking at it in the context of leadership and business, I always say like a leader has three main responsibilities. Um, with the first being to have a really clear vision for what it is that they're trying to accomplish and be able to articulate that vision to people inside and outside the organization. Um, the second being for uh, leaders to uh, be able to build the team around them that's going to deliver on that vision. And the third then being um, providing all the resources needed um, for that team to execute on that. And I can say that I don't feel like we have those three components in our leadership in this country right now. And as a result, we suffer in so many ways, whether that's everything that happened of Black Lives Matter. Um, and it's still happening because it's not as if uh, racism has disappeared. Or even like, how did we respond to COVID? I mean, not too long ago, nearly 2,000 people lost their lives in a single day. And in my, at least in my opinion, I've never, I've never ran a country, so maybe I'm being naive, but that seems like it was very avoidable. And we've just continued to make poor choices with a lack of vision and a lack of integrity, which has now put ruined the lives of so many people in a way that did not need to happen. I couldn't agree more. I think, I think there was a very definite choice here and in America where business was put before people. Um, and and that's that's a real shame. And I think, you know, you can see, uh, I know people don't like this comparison, but when you compare us to someone like, you know, Jacinta Arden in, in New Zealand and the steps she took, which was, you know, in the short term was probably disastrous for business. But in the long term, you know, they're, they're back to normal. Cinemas are open, theatres are open, uh, businesses as close to being back to normal as it could possibly be. Um, so I think you're right. I think there is a short-sightedness and I think there is... Um, uh, there's a lack of, uh, you've talked about this, being the boss, sometimes what you have to do in order to look after your workforce is um, compromise on on things for you. And I think that's really important. And that that very neatly leads me on to that question, which is uh, being the boss and that responsibility, it sounds like for you is about ensuring that the people who work for you feel safe, feel secure. Yeah, I think that's so important. Um so I know in a lot of a lot of society we kind of see leadership as this um glorious thing, um, like be in charge of all these people and things of that nature. But I've never seen leadership that way. I've always seen leadership as being a responsibility. Um, if people have committed their time, their energy, their futures to you, um, it's your responsibility to make sure that you are not only guiding the use of those investments that others are making but then also create an environment where they can thrive and the you know, the three steps that are as a leader is responsible for. Um, number three is making sure that the your team has the resources they need to be able to move forward. And sometimes that literally just means you need to make sure that they have a safe job, that their bills are going to be able to get paid, like they are trusting you to be able to do that. And yeah, that's the context of a business, but I do see that as when we're talking on like a governmental level or a country level, it's like, our leader's responsibility is to make sure that we are safe, that our basic needs are being met um, and that people can go on to thrive ultimately as we all work together to create a country we can all be proud of and we can all thrive in. Because once again, maybe I'm being naive or being idealistic, but I've always believed there's enough, there's enough in this world for us all. 
Um, we don't have to suffer. Like we don't have to step on each other in order to succeed. We don't have to other other people and and make other people suffer just so that we can be comfortable. But it's going to take somebody or people with such a strong and clear vision for the future, as well as the, I guess, the integrity and the strength and the, and the courage to be able to execute on that vision. But I think if that was to, if people were able to step up to that, then I believe I'm very sure that I'm not the only one that would like to see that future. And yeah, I would be happy to get behind any any leader, any politician, any business leader that would want to make that a reality and offer whatever skills or services or insight that I have to, to that vision. But yeah, I just don't think we have a vision that looks anything like that in the country today. Well, if you were to run for office, my friend, you would you get my vote. I couldn't agree more. <laughs> Thank you. Um, it's very unlikely. Um, unfortunately, <laughs> I have become very jaded by how effective politics can be. Um, so I do now think that the most effective way that I can have a positive impact on the world is through business. So that is why I'm an entrepreneur. Yeah, I, I do think there's, there's something there. You know, there's the figure of eight thing. There's... Uh, there's the role of government, and then there's also um, self-actualization. You know, I I, I do think um, you know you have a responsibility to yourself um, to self-actualize and realize a talent, or, or realize an ambition at the very least. You know, to have to want something better for yourself, and and to use all of your your talent to achieve it. Um, and meanwhile, what you know, you're pursuing that thing to the best of your ability. Uh, the the government that you're paying into, you know, as a taxpayer, needs, as you as you so beautifully and eloquently said, needs to be um, providing a duty of care and not looking after its own, which is what it feels like. You know, yeah. it doesn't it doesn't feel like, as you say, it doesn't feel like people are being helped to self actualize. It's uh, some people are giving opportunities because of the family they're from or you know the money they have. Um, and don't get me wrong, some people of course work really really hard, but I, I just go back to uh, the lament I had at the start of this conversation, which is I think about all the Shakespeare's we may have lost, or all the mm-hmm. all the great authors or um, the great musicians that have been lost because opportunities weren't forthcoming for whatever reason, their race, their gender, their sexuality, um, and ultimately it benefits all of us. It benefits the whole of society that everybody becomes the best that they can be. And I think that's the biggest secret right there is. Um, when we when we encourage people to be their best, we all win. Um, yeah, it's that simple. Because yeah, whether that's removing the barriers that stop people from being successful, like that means all of those barriers are gone um, for everybody, and you just realize that oh, all of a sudden we have a society or a workplace that is better. And not just that, but when we allow the next Mozart's and the next Steve Jobs and those people who otherwise are t- talent um, to succeed, then we all benefit. I mean, if there was no Steve Jobs, then we wouldn't have an iPhone today. And I don't know about you, but I rely on my smartphone every single day of my life. And I would be, I would hate to still be dealing with like touch, not touchscreen, um, button-based Nokia phones. So yeah, like <laughs> when we do allow, I guess, people to be their best and for excellence to truly flourish, then everybody benefits. But once again, I know that's I'm. I know I'm, I can be idealistic. I do know that. So yeah. Once again, maybe I'm just hoping for a future that isn't possible in the in the world that we live in right now. You and me both. You and me both, friend. But you know, listen. I don't think we should. Um, we should be without hope. 
that uh, that, it, that it can happen. You know, people like yourself who are trying to help people be the best that they can be. That's that's really what it's about. If we can, I do think there is something to that. You know, you change yourself, you change the world, um, and I think we should hope. We should send a message of hope to people that that it is possible. You know, I mean, look, um, there's a new president in the White House. Um, who knows how uh, Joe Biden will will um, move forward? I think he needs to be progressive, um, but who who knows, man? They could blow it in four years. We'll we'll have to see. Um, I want to ask you, dude, um, what your proudest moment is before we leave you. My proudest moment. Wow. Um, hmm. My proudest moment, I think, actually comes in university so far actually um as you asked me that question it did make me just cycle for a lot of like amazing memories i've had but i do remember sitting on a coach on the um the way back from an event i just pulled off so i had um i'd been elected to the president of the acs at loft university uh which is the um, afro-caribbean society and when i'd taken over the um that society it was it was honestly it was a mess um a few years prior it had been shut down by the police because of an incident that happened and you we were a bit of a laughing stock um both within the black community at, at the university but just across the boards and even nationally so there's lots of acs's across the country and we had no no status at all and um I do remember like when I was elected president telling people like painting this vision for what we could become, um, like this vision of what I saw, the potential that we had. And at first there was a lot of people that doubted it, but there were enough people that supported that and wanted to be a part of it. And over the course of that year, we completely transformed. We like multiplied in size. We got ourselves out of debt. Like, and we were able to create like a force that had such a positive impact for the university. Um, to the point that, yeah, we had won like multiple awards, like people's general university experience had been improved and things of that nature, which was great. But I guess that proud moment was um, after we had just pulled off um, Loughborough Universities or Loughborough ACS's rather very first a um, ball gala, um, gala event. And it was something that I remember when I was running, I'd said this is something I wanted us to do. And some people, I nearly got booed off the stage because people were in such disbelief that our society could do something like that. Um, and yeah, like just sitting on that coach on the way home and just hearing the excitement and the happiness and seeing this community was able to build and just basically accomplishing something that all of us could be proud of. Uh, that to me was to this day probably my proudest accomplishment. And even now when I go back and look at what Loughborough has become and still the, the legacy is still there because the society still stands. It's now one of the best in the country. And it's just like, yeah, like all it took was at first just a handful of people to really work hard to create something that has a legacy that has literally now lasted 10 plus years and is going stronger and stronger and reached heights that even I didn't think it could as well. So that's my proudest memory. That's wonderful. Thank you so much for joining me, mate. I really appreciate your time. That was uh, that was great. That was my absolute pleasure, mate. Um, yeah, a complete honour to be here today. And yeah, I'm really looking forward to see where you take this podcast forward in the future. You have been listening to Words Foul Me, a podcast about thriving with dyslexia with me, Jude Monk-McGowan. My guest today was CEO of Dream Nation, Claude Williams. There are more conversations in this series. Just search Words Fail Me, a podcast about thriving with dyslexia and subscribe wherever you find podcasts. And if you want to support the charity or access its many services, go to dyslexia-help.org.
And if you enjoyed this episode, please go rate and subscribe. Maybe even leave us a little review. Thank you.